Welcome to the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio, the podcast for talent acquisition aficionados, HR lovers, and recruitment professionals out there looking to get inspired and challenge traditional approaches to hiring. Here, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the recruitment process, engaging fresh talent, managing tough internal hiring dilemmas, and of course, the future of talent acquisition. I'm your host, Sim Samra from Recruitee. I'll be quizzing the experts, asking the burning questions, and of course, bringing you great guests each episode. By the end of every episode, we'll offer a few hypotheticals and of course, tips to take back to your team and workplace. Hey there, listeners. I'm joined by Eric Carroll Stonehewer, the Talent Acquisition and Employer Branding Specialist at Castor EDC. And today he'll be sharing some of his best practices when it comes to creating a positive company culture and recruiting with diversity and inclusion in mind. Eric, thanks for joining me today on the TA Innovators Radio. Big welcome to you. Let's get started with you telling me a little bit about what you do and explain what Castor is to people who don't know. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here and to talk about this topic. So I've been at Castor now for around a year. I actually had my uh, one year anniversary yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Um, So yeah, it's definitely been a whirlwind, uh, really exciting time so far for Castor. But to just give a bit more of an insight into who Castor are. So we're a small uh, health tech scale up. Mm -hmm. We are a Dutch startup originally. So our CEO and founder, Dirk Arts, he was a, uh, well, is a medical doctor, yeah. but he sort of took a step away, I guess, from being a practicing doctor to really uh, take Castor as a business venture and really uh, grow it to what it is today. Okay. Um, but the general concept of Castor is that we are a data capture platform for medical researchers. Yeah. So really trying to improve the speed, efficiency, and all of the wo- amazing work that medical researchers do just to make their lives a bit easier in terms of what they do with their data to mm-hmm. get drugs to market faster yeah that's really the business model of castor is to take this product to market and it's a group of really purpose-driven people that that do that so it's a really nice vision and, and the story of i guess Dirt being a medical doctor and sort of creating this company from scratch himself yeah it's, it's uh, something he's very really, passionate yeah, about yeah. yeah it's great i think he even wrote the first code himself for castor with his own <laughs> sort of amateur coding knowledge in his basement or garage i'm not sure where but uh that sort of passion to create something to sort of make the world a, a better place and you can't do much more in terms of trying to make the world a better place than with medical research, I don't think. Can you define the workplace culture at Castor? When people ask me to define Castor's workplace culture, I really, I just get all of these buzzwords that come to mind. It's really hard to put it into sentences, but I would say that it's very dynamic, really a bunch of passionate and strong-willed people that are trying to, as I say, improve the world of medical research with everything that we're doing. I think underlining all of that is that purpose-driven factor that everyone is really purpose-driven to that mission. And that's really the overall feel of Castor yeah. and how people then collaborate together and work together along the way to that to that mission. How many people work at Castor? So I think we're around 55 FTE at the moment, okay. mostly based here in uh, yeah, Amsterdam HQ. But we also uh, opened a small satellite office in the US this year. Oh, nice. Um, and we also have a few remote employees in the UK and Ireland as well. So uh, we are becoming a bit more uh, global. Mm-hmm. And that is the plan for Castor is to expand internationally. But yeah, mostly uh, based in our, our Amsterdam HQ. We actually moved to uh, our own uh, Castor borough, as we like to call it, our own brand new three-floor office in September this year. That's exciting. So uh, that was yeah. also quite an interesting uh, and exciting move for the business. 
So do you have like a global recruiting strategy in place? So is that something you're working on at the moment? Gosh, I think, yeah, definitely. Uh, I would definitely not say uh, we have a, a fully fledged global recruiting strategy. We've certainly done our best with some of the international hires we've had to yeah. make so far, but a lot of things that cast is new ground, mm-hmm. doing new things for the first time and uh, really implementing new things, testing the water, seeing what what doesn't work. But yeah, I guess that's all uh, part and parcel of the job and also scale up life and start up life. And it's, uh, yeah. Makes, it's constant change as well scale up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What have been the major elements in creating your company culture? Caster's culture probably really evolved naturally in a way because it was such a small company for quite a while. So going from it being Dirk, our CEO, to Rob and Sebas, our CEO and CTO joining the business. And then really going from those three to four to five to six people. I think it started probably with a lot of interns and then those interns became more full-time employees in different roles. That's really how Caster's culture naturally sort of, I guess, progressed in a way. Um, But from day one, I'd say that Dirk really knew in his head what he wanted. You know, his business is his baby in a way and he he was probably looking at who he could really bring on to add value to Caster and also to the the mission of Caster. And I, yeah, I remember when I started... Something I, I looked at, something he shared with me was that he had this slide deck already called uh, defining what we look for from a Castorian. Mm-hmm. So he'd already really, as a CEO, as growing his own business, put thought and time into what this should be. And with the company being so small at that stage, everyone was involved in the recruitment process. Yeah. So because there was, you know, one person, then two, then three, then four, I think up until probably the first 15, 20 people, if you had an interview at Castor, mm-hmm. no interview would look the same and it would probably almost involve everyone. And that's probably how Caster's culture just naturally evolved, was from having all of those personal touch points. Just out of curiosity, how many recruiters do you actually have? There's between two and three. So we have a people ops specialist Mm -hmm. who was really the first people hire, let's say, for Caster um, as an intern. And then she progressed through her role and she did pretty much everything people related. Mm -hmm. And then I joined the business as sort of the first recruiter like proper full-time FTE recruiter with bringing that experience moving to Casta to do a lot of the multiple hat wearing a bit of strategy a bit of project a bit of the operational side of things and really recently uh, I actually grew the talent team a little bit within the people team and we now have a talent uh, acquisition coordinator as well so we're between myself and Javier our TA coordinator there's sort of two full-time and our people ops specialist has taken a bit of a step away but uh yeah, I'd say three is a, a safe number. You mentioned earlier about doing some more global hiring. And I just wondered how you will keep your company culture going with the international office and your international hires. Is there any um, strategies you have in place to sort of maintain your company culture or how do you strategize for that? Castor really needs to strategize on its company culture from a point when it got to uh, yeah when it got to a certain number of people obviously they need to think what are we going to do with this we're going to start growing and expanding globally something that happened before i actually joined Castor was that they did a very collaborative values creation project yeah so really trying to align on what is this amazing culture that we've started to create mm-hmm. how do we enrich this how do we keep it going as we grow here but also expand globally i think the global expansion thing was really uh not as apparent when that happened probably it was a bigger vision a future vision that came around probably a bit sooner but yeah that that values creation project really helped i think to cement all of that and as i say it was very collaborative a lot of focus groups 
really working with everyone at Casta to find out what they liked about the culture of Casta. That's nice. That's those, a good yeah, communication there. Absolutely. To find those buzzwords that we talked about earlier on, yeah. to get that understanding that everyone is purpose-driven about Casta. That's why they are there. You need to do more than just do a values creation project because you can create those values and as a business have this shiny set of values that you can talk about and every company has them. Yeah. But it's, I think, what you then do with them. And at Casta, they really didn't finish there with that. And we really have activated our values to try and live them at Casta. Yeah. So uh, I think just to give one example, which is my favorite example of how we've activated one of our values is our core, I'd say number one value of our set. And if you were to ask our CEO, which of these values is the most important to you, he would definitely say this one. And it's to achieve anything with a happy and healthy team, mm-hmm. it, which also, I guess, links really nicely to medical research and yeah, our vision of a, as a business. Yeah. But with that, something that we've done to keep that value alive and to encourage our Castorians to say, yeah, mentally healthy, physically healthy, and, and really focus on their own well-being, is that we have put a bit of a a plan or a program around this for our Castorians. So we run Castor accessible training sessions or CATs, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be a, a 3K run or we have a, a mini in-office gym you can go up and use if you want to. We have a company subscription to Calm. We do meditation and yoga. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, yeah, we, we try and do a lot to encourage people to look after themselves. You know, we have standing, sitting desks. Yeah. And we've put a bit of a fun metric on it to sort of challenge people in a way to say, take care of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, look after yourself and, and your well-being. And every week we get a survey sent round. And if you have done 15 minutes of activity, you can register and you get a wellness point. And basically as a business, we've set this metric to achieve 15,000 wellness points Mm -hmm. by the end of the year. And if we do achieve that, it's going to go towards a percentage of our company bonus. I guess there's an element of incentivizing looking after yourself, but also making it fun and playful and sort of saying, you know, this is our company culture. This is a, a value that we've defined by being collaborative together. How do we implement and activate this and how do we make it front of mind and keep it going and yeah. and, and really live it? And no, I think it's it's nice to have um, these company wellness programs because it's something most people can get involved in and uh, it's for their own well-being. It actually promotes your brand message quite nicely as well. Ha- stay happy and healthy. Yeah. And uh, happy and healthy colleagues are more yeah. likely to be loyal colleagues. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. <laughs> so that works out quite well with your recruitment strategy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? How do you think that diversity impacts company culture? I think you could definitely have a company culture without diversity, but I'm not sure you would have a very good company culture without diversity because speaking from the experiences that I've had as a recruiter, I've been working as a recruiter for about four different companies now, mostly back in the UK before I moved out here to the Netherlands and a mixture of different environments, so yeah. corporate, public sector, healthcare, and now a, a small scale up. Yeah. So I've experienced very different cultures. I've experienced cultures where it's really corporate. I've experienced cultures where the team that I worked in was the people and culture team, and part of the need for that team was to look at culture change within the organisation. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a company where the culture is really quite new, I think, in a way, because the company's quite small still, and we've really started to harness and create that culture. And I think personally, I would say diversity is really important from what I've seen. Now, for example, I can see the benefit of having so many different points of view that diversity brings to the table. So at Castor, for example, we have people, I'd say, from over 20 different countries in terms of the international identity of Castor. 
We have people that identify as uh, gender neutral. Mm -hmm. So we have gender diversity. We have, I think, neurodiversity to an element that we are very much a mixture of introverts and extroverts at Castor, so very different personality types. And I think all of these different elements of diversity add to and enrich that company culture by bringing different things to the table. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the the important impact of diversity on company culture. Why you probably though you can't have the culture without the diversity. You know, it's like having uh, pasta without sauce. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that great. No. <laughs> I mean, you probably, yeah, you could eat the pasta without the sauce, it. but uh, it's probably not going to be as tasty. Yeah, true. Uh, so you've been a recruiter for about four or five years. Yeah, five and a half now. Yeah. Five and a half years. Yeah. Do you think your hiring bias has reduced over time? Or do you think you've just become more savvy in pointing things out? Or I think my hiring bias has reduced because of awareness. Right. I think that's probably the key for I think for for people is to be aware of bias mm-hmm. because you can't ever I don't think remove bias. It's no, probably no, impossible yeah, to remove it. Yeah, everyone's going to have their own subconscious biases or conscious biases. I guess it's about making them as conscious as possible. So if you are then biased, at least you know you're being biased. Yeah, and if it's the wrong kind of bias, I don't know if there is the right kind of bias. I guess there is in certain circumstances, but I think uh, if you are aware of the bias then you can reduce it and reduce the risk of implementing that. And then I guess try not to affect how that translates to the recruitment practice or to recruiting an individual. Yeah. No. Okay, cool. Uh, I thought it'd be interesting to throw that question at you. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's fine. I, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate it because it's a good question to ask. I think uh, bias is something that we all just need to be aware of. Yeah. And people are more aware of it than others. Um, and I guess it's also a part and parcel of the role to challenge people that maybe are a little bit less aware of their bias. Who, I don't, I, I, sometimes I, I question whether recruiters are even aware of their bias, yeah. you know, and, um, like I mean, I think we all have those off days maybe, you know, yeah. let's say you've done a ton of telephone interviews and it's been a long week and you're tired. It probably becomes a little bit harder to notice your bias. Yeah. But I think as long as you constantly try and keep a check, a mental personal check of, of when you're, you know, screening CVs or screening a, a, an application or doing a telephone interview, yeah. just being aware and trying not to focus on that when you're assessing and selecting is probably the most important thing. Just want to throw this at you. What do you think of blind recruiting? Yeah, interesting. I uh, have done blind recruiting once. I think it can be really beneficial. Yeah. I mean, you remove an element of bias. Mm-hmm. Again, it depends on the biases that you're removing are probably quite obvious. So is there a way, do you need to do blind hiring? Can you just say, okay, I'm aware of what those biases are. I won't be biased. But I think it just is like a, it's a protective measure, right? Yeah. Uh, It's like going swimming with the armbands on. You can say, (laughs) I I won't, I'll go swimming. I can swim. I won't drown. But Mm -hmm. the armbands just are an extra layer of protection. And I think that's what blind hiring is. And it's probably then only going to uh, improve your chances of, diversity of some element if you're just removing that bias the chance of that bias completely yeah i'm glad we uh we brought that up it's <laughs> yeah. interesting um we've discussed the importance of diversity and its impact on culture yeah with this in mind how do you make sure to maintain an authentic cultural focus when recruiting at castor i'm glad you've asked that because i really want to talk about when i started at castor what my first few weeks were like and mm how 
linking back to what we talked about earlier, I could see the importance of Culture Forecaster, I think from top down, you know, from the fact that it's come from the CEO from those early days and it's sort of channeled through the, this values creations projects happened and it's been implemented in different ways and we're really living it. And I can see some of the practices that have happened around how they've assessed for cultural fit previously and trying to think, okay, how can we really evolve this? You know, we're growing scale up. We need something that can be scalable. Mm -hmm. What can we do that is really uh, impactful? And we know recruitment's a two-way street, right? So as much as we're assessing the candidate, they're deciding if we're the right choice for them. So during that journey, I think it's also really important for the candidate to get an understanding of what our company culture is like because half your time is spent at work. You know, your colleagues are almost like your extended family in a Mm -hmm. a weird way because you spend so much time with them. You get to know them on a personal level. And we want to lay those cultural cards on the table, so to speak. So after running a lot of internal workshops and having a lot of conversations with lots of different stakeholders at different levels within Castor, I created something that we call the Castor Culture Curator Program. It's a lot of alliteration. Uh, yeah, I, I do love my alliteration. <laughs> if you look at a lot of Castor processes, uh, there's a lot of alliteration there. It's a bit of a, a running joke there, but uh, I think there's something nice about it as well. It just makes it a little bit playful. Yeah. But really the idea behind this initiative is that during the candidate's final stage interview so they'll have had a recruiter interview they'll have had a focus interview and then we do an interview day with lots of different elements and as part of that we're going to run a culture curator interview where they will meet with two let's say neutral castorians so these could be people that are really removed from their direct recruitment process let's Mm -hmm. say we're recruiting for a marketing manager this means we might have someone from engineering or sales or finance to meet with this individual and those culture curators are going to ask the candidate five questions and each of those five questions will relate to one of our values, so one per value. So I think it's really fun because it helps not only give the candidate an insight into our values and what how we live with MacCaster, but it also allows them to get an idea of our purpose-driven culture in that way and how we work together and how we collaborate together. And it also gives the candidate a chance to ask some really open and honest questions of Castorians yeah. who work and live at Castor in this culture. What do they love about working at Castor? What do they really not like about working at Castor? What are some of the struggles? What's real? So they can make an informed decision because if we make an offer, then they can make an informed decision. We don't want to set them up for failure. Uh, Mm. We want to set them up for success. So I think it's a really nice way to involve our own people in a process and not assess, but do that cultural check in a way and, and see how this person matches our working style so that they're going to be successful when they join Castor mm-hmm. and how they might enrich our culture. What do they bring to it? What do they add? So I think that's sort of how you can really take culture and look at it and implement it into your recruitment process. Well, that's just one way that we've done it at Castor now. And yeah. It's quite a new program. It's not been going for very long, but so far the feedback that we get of candidates is that they really love it. They love that we put a focus on that and they love that they get that opportunity. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if I was going for an interview, I'd love to be able to ask some really open and honest questions of someone that maybe wasn't the hiring manager or just someone that is yeah, working there already to find out, find out what it really is like. I think I've done that at many job interviews when I get a second to myself at the coffee stand. Just talk to the other yeah, employees and just it. get a feel for the environment, yeah. how they enjoy it. I think that's what candidates are really looking for as well. Do you ever do trial days? let people get a taste of what it would be like to work in that environment or is it solely just um, communicating? I've done trial days in the past in, in different roles but uh, 
I think probably the business method or thought process there hasn't really been with a focus on culture. I think you mm-hmm. maybe get an aspect of that from it. Yeah. And I definitely think they can work in certain circumstances. As part of in two days, it can be nice if you can make time with a candidate that's that has that cultural focus outside of an interview. Yeah. Uh, like our culture creator interviews at Castor, for example, it's not in a, a formal setting, it's over a coffee in a space in Castor that's probably a bit more social. Yeah. So it feels more like a conversation. Sometimes we'll have candidates come for an interview day and it'll be spread over lunch and they'll sit with the team and have lunch as part of our communal lunch setting that we have together. So I think there are things that you can do, but uh, yeah, trial days isn't something that I've really uh, implemented a lot. And I think I would think there were maybe a few more barriers for that for certain roles and others, like maybe with engineering roles, for example, sometimes we bring candidates in and they may do a, an on-site exercise mm-hmm as part of their interview that lasts a little bit longer and they're spending some more time with the team. And that feels a bit more like a trial day because they're sort of doing work that's very much related to what they've been doing in the environment, a bit more, yeah, a bit more technical. Uh, But then I think there are certain roles where that potentially may be a bit more challenging. Would you say there is one way to translate this cultural values-based focus beyond the recruitment process? I think there are so many ways and I think this is where you can have so much fun again like the recruitment process doesn't just end on offer. Yeah. That person is going to come and join your business. Mm-hmm. You're going to be working with them. They may even become a hiring manager one day and yeah. you sort of, uh, that relationship changes, but in a way that it's nice that you've, I guess, continued to build that relationship from a point where they weren't even part of the business. And I think there are yeah, so many different ways that you can be innovative here. So to give you an example, something that we do is we start straight away and they offer a, a glance document that we send to individuals. So we really like to put a bit of a, a pack together that we send to candidates when we're making an offer to them so they can see everything that we are yep. offering them. And part of that document really highlights their development offer at Caster. Okay. And this links to how we do one-to-ones, how we do 360 peer feedback, mm-hmm. how we do reviews. And that links directly to one of our other values, which is to push boundaries through direct communications and diversity. Right. So it, it that sort of links to showing how we use different tech to do that. So we're sort of setting a bit of a that cultural vibe straight away in the offer document. Yeah. And then we sort of translate that through and pour it into their first week at Caster. So we'll, yeah, they get another, another document before they join. Again, something really informative, but a bit fun and playful to sort of, I'd say, this is going to be what your first week looks like. And as part of that, we introduce them probably more formally at that stage to our five company values and where they come from. And they also meet our little internal mascot for the first time, which is the Castor Beaver. Um, <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah, each value has has its own little Castor Beaver, yeah. um, which are all very cute in their own, uh, own little <laughs> way. We also actually just developed some new ones and we have now a baby beaver that uh, we send on a little uh, onesie to new uh, families that just have babies. So, uh, yeah, again, I guess giving them that that flavor of culture before they join. And then they'll walk in on their first day and on their desk will be a handwritten and signed card by our CEO. You know, welcoming them. Why is he and why are we so happy to have them? Mm -hmm. I still have mine on my desk. You know, it's, it, that's where I, I keep my, cause it, it, I look at it and I, it brings back those memories of walking in on my first day now. So I guess it's not just great to start that cultural conversation automatically about that purpose driven nature of Caster, but 
it's a, a thing of longevity. You know, yeah. you're going to look back at it and you're going to remember what, like, how I remember my first day. That's why I joined Caster. That's why they brought me to Caster. And mm-hmm. I think it's a really nice point. And then during that week as well, they'll have so many different touch points with, with our culture and our values and our story of Caster. And we also, in, on their first day in particular, they get time as new starters with our uh, fun squad, as we call them. I think I remember on my first day when I did my onboarding and, and I met the fun squad, we played this uh, Dutch board game. It's like uh, discs that you sort of try and throw through holes. It's shuffleboard or something. I don't know how to pronounce it in Dutch, but... Uh, <laughs> You don't want to try? Um, no, I, no I, won't, I won't give it a shot because uh, I'm sure people won't be happy. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of events that I've attended as well, I've heard from different speakers who have said it's about creating memories and stories and things that people remember. And these are things that I remember and I'm sure, and I hope they're things that other new hires since I've joined Caster remember as we've really tried to add these things into the, the process and really enhance them to continue that cultural journey as part of that recruitment process Yeah, from uh, offer to hire. So you've talked about the offer stage, the, the first day. What happens a month after someone has joined? Do you do regular one-to-ones, check in, see how they're progressing? As I said, as part of that offer, a glance document they receive, we mm-hmm. auto- we, we're saying there and then straight away about their development offer as part of that, how one-to-ones work, how 360 peer feedback works. And at Caster, we actually use a couple of tools. Mm-hmm. So we use Office Vibe, which really allows us to continually check the temperature of the workplace. Yeah. I think it's a lovely tool, especially if you use it and you act on it. Yeah. It's great to use one of these tools and just gather the feedback. But at Caster, we really act on it. And if you put a comment and you, you can do that anonymously or non-anonymously, mm-hmm. you will get a response. How okay. can we, okay, thanks for sharing this. What can we do about it? And it's always from one of our senior management team. Yeah. Dirk, our CEO, Rob, our COO. And that's one thing that we do. And also we use Impraise mm-hmm. for all of our feedback and uh, yeah, giving people tips and praise across the organization, all of our more formal performance mm-hmm. reviews if you like but what's really nice is about all of those reviews is that we link them to our values as well so every six months when we do that more formal review you'll be asked per each value how you're living up to that value like what have you done to live to that value mm-hmm. as well as sort of looking at all of your achievements and challenges in your role itself that's how we continue to try and stimulate and maintain and enrich the culture through ensuring people are using the translations of that culture into how we live in Macasta. Okay. Do you think there is a tool or procedure that management and HR have at their disposal to modify culture? Cultural modification sounds a bit like surgery. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you probably picked up a few times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think cultural modification is probably sometimes needed. A caster isn't something I've experienced. I think, like I say, it's so new that uh, modification isn't something that's there. But I think if I'm to reflect on prior experiences, other than obviously a, a values program, which is something that caster's done quite recently, yeah. I think that's probably a nice place to start or look back at. Yeah. If you're a big company, for example, you might already have some really historic values. Mm-hmm. Do they still fit? Are they still right? If they are, have you activated them or have they sort of just become a bit dead in the water? You don't need to spend a lot of money. All it takes is talking to people and finding out what it what it means to them and what do these values mean to them. It's almost like user research in a, in a way, I guess, for you, testing the temperature of your internal uh, environment. 
looping back to something I discussed earlier on is that you can really then use all of your people and their thoughts and their feelings and their ideas Mm -hmm. to workshop what those values should be if they are are they still right or are they not and I'd love to give an example of a previous role that I I was in so before moving to the Netherlands actually I worked for a company called Science Museum Group Uh, so they're a really big uh, public sector organization in the UK Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a body of national museums you've probably heard or maybe even visited Science Museum in London I know all the free museums in London (laughs) yeah and the Science Museum is one of my favorites yeah it's uh I always had this little running joke with some of my colleagues that uh, none of the Science Museum group museums were my favourites because I really love the Natural History Museum. It's, but, it's uh, a good one. Yeah, huh? it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> but as a group of museums, they had some really historic values that they needed to reshape. And yeah, they obviously are a massive 1,200-person organisation. I wasn't part of any of those projects, but they did all that work to create this new set of values mm-hmm. of what we wanted to underpin at uh, Science Museum group Sorry, as living up to our purpose and lifelong learning and and what we really wanted to do through the collections of the museums Mm -hmm. and once that project had been run which again is really cost effective because it's just talking to people I think you can take that and start to implement it into things and you can uh, really try and reset what that that culture looks like and and create all of those new fun projects around them like we have a cast from our values for example yeah. so you know how are you going to map it into onboarding at the museum group for example we created these inside days so people could really get an understanding of the visitor journey but through all the touch points of every department in a museum and you can get really creative like do really fun things for example we would do secret behind the scenes tours of museums like when do you get whenever do you get the opportunity to go and sort of look behind the locked doors in these yeah. museums at these collections items that are hidden away. That, it's like night at the museum. Yeah, it's amazing. It's <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't start talking to you and <laughs> yeah. uh, show you around. But uh, yeah, I think uh, that's probably where, if I was needing to modify culture, that's where I would start. Yeah, I wouldn't think, let's spend a load of money, get someone in and, and do something crazy. I'd say, let's look at our values if mm-hmm. we have them. Yeah. And do they need to be reshaped or not? And if we don't have them, let's do a values creation project. And then you can really use that as a, starting point mm-hmm. for all of those things okay well eric time is running away from us yeah. one last question for okay. you um a diverse workplace is not necessarily an inclusive one has Casta actively taken any steps to foster inclusivity in the workplace for example this could be gender neutral bathrooms acknowledging religious and cultural holidays celebrated by employees or perhaps a nursing room for mothers yeah well, we definitely have the nursing room, uh, although at the moment we have, like I say, just moved into a new office and there's some temperature issues, so it's a little bit chilly in there. I think that's uh, a problem across <laughs> every office in the world. Yeah, yeah. so uh, <laughs> we're currently uh, testing the waters with the, the heating, okay. let's say. Yeah. Did you know that women generally are much colder in offices than men? I it's did not scientific, know. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's, uh, yeah, we're currently having that uh, challenge at Castor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we do have a nursing room which is very cosy and colourful and uh, a lot of texture, like different things going on in there, but it's a nice, yeah, it's a nice, a nice spot for, for the privacy to have that, that space. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought this question up and I think it's funny that you asked because actually literally last Friday uh, we were having a discussion around our signage or restrooms at Castor yeah. because as I discussed, we do have individuals at Castor that identify as gender neutral as well as male and female and... I think really linking to our culture and values, we're very open and honest. Mm-hmm. We're very 
direct our communications we really have a flat structure where we discuss things so it was raised at our company wide and we had a bit of a discussion around it obviously people have different feelings and there are also some really relevant things to think about other than just the internal employees but what about guests and visitors and people that come to the office so we took the approach of using office vibe mm-hmm. to send out a survey and get people's feedback and, and thoughts on it so that just happened this week so we're waiting for all of that to really then i guess make a decision on what we do with this signage yeah but i think there's a way to please everyone you know if you have gen- people that identify as gender neutral males females they all want different bathrooms there's plenty of restrooms you know yeah you can have signage for them all so that you're trying to be as inclusive as possible my personal opinion is just leave signs off at all of them <laughs> yeah, just you know just uh, a toilet to toilet, a toilet, a toilet. Yeah. so uh yeah but uh we're waiting to see what the, those results are so i'm sure that'll be uh interesting but yeah i definitely agree that i think uh inclusivity is separate to diversity mm-hmm. and it's one of those things like with culture you can have culture without diversity, but uh, how can you say you're diverse if you're not inclusive? I think that's probably uh, where we are at Castor at the moment. Excellent. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening. And we have plenty of podcasts coming up in the future. So stay tuned. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks again for joining us on the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And of course, if you did, feel free to share it on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you're most active. And if you'd like to be updated on when our next podcast is going to be released, you can sign up at blog.recruity.com slash podcast. See you in the next one.